Um, we'll jump into the scriptures this morning. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Not Matthew chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Wake up, Connor. Come on. Hebrews chapter 11. When we are weak, God is strong. So increase your expectation for me this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I'm not going to read the, last night I read the whole thing. It was just way too long. You can read, right? Okay, good. I'm going to trust, I'm going to read the first two scriptures and the trust that you're going to go home and read the rest of it. So, uh, but it's really, really important as we read Hebrews chapter 11, the main um, theme in this part of the scriptures is that God's people had faith. And that's particularly important. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish people who started following Jesus, but were uh, facing extreme persecution and resistance for their faith. Their, their lives were literally on the line, and they had to make a decision. If we continue to profess in faith in Jesus, are we willing to go through the persecution that could result, um, could come as a result of that? Or would it be safer and better to just recant our faith in Jesus and kind of slide under the radar um, and, and try to preserve our lives. And the author of the Hebrews is trying to tell them, I know that seems safer, that might seem more comfortable, I totally get it, but you need to be obedient to who God is. He is much better, he can save you, he can preserve you, he can protect you, and even if he doesn't, he's still trustworthy and good. So as we're reading Hebrews 11, what we're seeing, and this is what we're going to do, is we're going to go through some of the people who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, who uh, were people of great faith throughout the Old Testament, but what we're going to see is what they did, or, and that's what I'm going to try to unpack, as they were waiting for God to fulfill the promises in their life, who they were, what they did, and why they waited. Um, as we're, I, I would imagine, hopefully you understand and you believe that God has made promises to us. God is a good God. He's working in the earth. He's, he's real. He's in control, so to speak. He's over everything, and he's restoring and redeeming all of creation. And, and all of us are get to be uh, or have the option, the opportunity to be a part of that promise. But what's interesting, if you're anything like me, um, you believe that God has made a promise, and maybe that's a true confession inside of you. Um, but those promises and, and just the reality of that promise doesn't always come into existence just like that. Often we have waiting and a process that we have to go to or go through until the promise is made real and, and has come to pass. And the question while we wait, two real questions that I've been thinking about that I've experienced and I think a lot of us experience is, one, how long am I going to have to wait? Like we live in a, uh, you'll hear this narrative a lot um, in this type of context, we live in like a popcorn microwave culture. We just want everything like that. And uh, I've realized that God doesn't necessarily work that quickly. I'm like, God, you're a little bit slow. Maybe you should work quicker. And uh, that's not an issue with God. That's an issue with me, me being willing to, to wait. Um, but we wonder, how long am I going to have to wait? And then the other question, especially when we're fixated on something that we hope is to come later down the road, is what do I do and who will I be until that time comes to pass? So we're going to look at that in uh, Hebrews, the people that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. But I want to read the first two verses to kind of set up um, what we learn from these people, and then we'll jump into their lives. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It would be worthwhile for all of us um, this week and, and maybe just forever to think about that scripture and that alone and to really sit and, and ponder on that reality. And this is what it says in verse 2, and then we're going to jump into these people's lives. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. I'm going to start with, uh, I'm not going to start with Abel and Cain. Go to Rahab. We're going to mix it up for the 11-11. I haven't gotten, yeah, I haven't gotten to all these people. Again, you're going you're gonna to read through Hebrews 11 this week and you're going to see these names pop up. What I want to do is go into their lives and look at who they were and why God commended them and why um, they waited well and, and just process through that and see what we can learn about what it means to wait on God's promises. Rahab. Rahab is an interesting character. We see this in the book of Joshua. Rahab, really, really briefly, because we're going to go through a, a couple people here. She's a Gentile, which means she's not a Jew. So she, in this context and this time, hasn't, so to speak, received the promise that God has made to his people, the Israelites. She's also a prostitute, which is not a good thing. <laughs> Just in case anyone was wondering. No condemnation if you have been a prostitute. But it's not what God has for us, not that type of life. So God comes to this woman, and he uses her as a tool to fulfill the promise that he had for the nation of Israel. Now, if I'm Rahab, I would imagine I have a couple things going on in my head. One, I'm not one of your people. I'm a Gentile, and I'm a prostitute. Why would you want to use me? Which I think a lot of us in this room at some point in time, whether you've ever wrestled with this before, maybe you will one day, often we come to this place in our life where we look back on who we are and where we've come from and what we've been identified to up until this point, and we don't think we're worthy to inherit the promise that God has for us. And what God is revealing to us in Rahab, I think what he's trying to present before us is you have to ask yourself, regardless of where you have come from or what you've done, no matter how unclean or how unworthy you think you are, do you actually believe that I'm a good enough God that I would use you as a part of this story to fulfill my promise to humanity? Because there are a lot of people in here and maybe you wouldn't say that your life has been too crazy or you wouldn't say you're all that unworthy based on a lot of maybe contextual or, or natural markers. But if you're anything like me, deep, deep down inside, I'm constantly wrestling. Like I, I see before me, I actually think that God wants to bless me. But there's this thing inside of me that still doesn't think I'm worthy of that. And I stand in the way not because God isn't willing to bless an unclean, unworthy person. It's clear throughout the scriptures that he wants to redeem and restore all of us. But like Rahab, because here's the thing about Rahab. One, she could have not responded at all to everything that was going on here in the story. But the second thing is time went on before God actually brought down Jericho and preserved her life because she was obedient to him. And if I'm Rahab, and I knew what was going to happen in the story, I would have maybe been thinking to myself, you know what? 
I have some inside information, and I don't know if God is really going to come through, so maybe I'll thwart this whole thing, and I'll try to take control, and I'll try to preserve myself. And so often, God makes a promise to us, and we just have to wait it out, and it seems crazy, and often we're, we're wondering, is this really going to happen? Can I really trust that this is really going to work out, and God's going to come through on the other side? And if we're not careful, we begin to scheme ourselves to try to get ourselves out of the problem and, and through the promise, and through the process on the other side of the promise. And if you're anything like me, there are times where I've done that and it has not gone the way that I thought it was because God asked me to do one thing and I did something else because I couldn't trust him. And what the story of Rahab is teaching us is God wants to bless you regardless of who you are and what you've been through and what you've done and where you come from. But are you willing to not view yourself as unworthy any longer? And are you willing to totally trust him with the process, even if you have some, some back doors that you think that you could go out in order to preserve yourself, you're not willing to go through them because God didn't give you permission to. He said, do it this way, go this way, trust me in this, and if you'll trust me, I will preserve you. And what does Rahab do? She trusts God, and God preserves her family. Sometimes the hardest thing to do while we wait especially as we feel like time is going on too long, is we try to start playing God and figuring out how to expedite things. And we get in the way. Are you willing to be the type of person who has the faith to say, you know what, God? This doesn't make any sense to me. I wrestle with a lot of insecurity. I wrestle with feeling unworthy. But you have said that I'm worthy of your promise. You've included me in this story. And I trust you with the process. I'll wait it out. I'll see it through. I won't try to intervene and play God in this whole thing. You know way better than I do. You can do way more than I can do. I can trust you with my relationships. I can trust you with all this. I can trust you with my whole life. I know that you're going to bless me. Can you do that? Can you see yourselves as worthy? And can you wait it out in the process? Do you believe that God is trustworthy to see the promise all the way through? Let's jump to Moses. Moses is a, and also an interesting character and a figure. What I want to, to really focus on with Moses is... Um, one, Moses did some really bad stuff. As you know, he murdered Egyptian. And Moses, as God has been trying to use him, um, has good reason to feel really shameful and really insecure about uh, the life that he had lived up until this point. But God calls him to go back to Pharaoh and to lead God's people out of enslavement in Egypt. So the first thing that Moses has to deal with, and again, this is kind of in the same vein as Rahab, but each and every one of us has to do with it. We, we get this promise from God, and God asks us to go do something, and we begin to think of all the reasons why we're not worthy or we're not capable or we're not uh, skilled enough or prepared enough or equipped enough to do it. And, and you notice God at no point in time really argues with Moses about his insecurities. Because God, for God, it doesn't matter. 
It's like, it's like when your kids are arguing with you about certain things and you're like, that, that, that doesn't matter. I'm your parent. I'm telling you how it's going to be. Just zip your lips and do what I tell you and it'll happen. I'm not a dad yet, so. That's just been my experience as a son. And as a husband sometimes. My wife is like, just do what I'm trying to tell you to do. I know it's going to work out. And I'm like, trying to argue. And she's just, shut up. All right, is it possible that God is like, made a way for you and you're like wasting your breath arguing with God why you can't step into it and God is like just stop talking stop justifying why you think I can't take you beyond yourself seriously there's so I, I mean I wrestle with this all the time I, I often throughout the day I'm thinking I can't be this because of this and I'm just wrestling with all these insecurities and what I see in the scriptures is a God who takes people like that and takes them beyond all those insecurities and justifications and uses them to fulfill the promise that he has for humanity. But we have to, like Moses, he eventually had the courage, that's important to note, he had the courage, he had the chutzpah, he had the courage, the audacity to say, you know what, I do feel insecure, which is okay for you to recognize to a certain extent, as long as it ultimately doesn't win out in your life. This is the other thing. God sends him back into Pharaoh's house. He sends him into the office of the, the power at B who is enslaving his people. And for a lot of us in, in different times in our life, the way out into the promise that God has for us is going to be through the confrontation with the power that's trying to enslave us. If you're anything like me, I want to experience God's promise, but I want to like run really, really far away and around and avoid all conflict and avoid all, and, and just try to like sneak around into the promised land. And I'm a coward apart from God. And God's like, no, Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh's house. And I want you to tell him who I am and what I'm going to do. And just trust me. And Moses does it. This is significant. There's two really important um, themes going on throughout the Old Testament in particular, but but throughout the whole story of God, and it's currently going on, we have these two, um, we have a tension between two realities. Often we will refer to it as the secular world, the world apart from God, and then the kingdom of God. In the scriptures, it's the empire, and some people call it uh, shalom, some callers, scholars would call it that. I think about it as the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of God, there's the reality in the existence that is created and is flourishing and is winning out under the sovereignty, under the rule, under the leadership of Jesus. It's the world that we access. It's the world, the way that our world is shaped. When we say, Jesus, I trust you, and then he shifts and moves primarily things inside of us, but then shifts and moves the things around us. And then there's the empire. There's the world apart from God. There's the world that's just humanity operating selfishly for uh, whatever satisfaction we think we're going to get at whatever cost it takes that's destroying and creating further chaos in society. Do you understand these two things at war? 
And each and every one of us constantly is having to choose between the empire and those who are leading it, those who are asking for our allegiance to do the mission, the agenda of the empire. And I'm not like this conspirator. So if you think this, man, this guy's kind of weird. I promise you, I'm totally normal. And then, <laughs> other than I follow Jesus. But then, then there's the kingdom of God. And they're, they're totally polar opposite things. Especially as Americans, we're constantly like, the empire is vying for our attention and our allegiance. Satisfy yourself, please yourself at whatever the cost, as long as it feels good, as quick as possible. And Jesus is like, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me and wash people's feet and get as low as you can and serve people and love people who don't love you. And what Moses does is he goes right into the empire and he looks Pharaoh in the eye. He says, my God is the real God and he's going to take us out so you can release us or he's going to have something to say about it. Which just begs the question, on your way out into whatever you're in, into the promise that God has for you, are you willing to go through the empire? And are you willing to stand and look at the power and the authority that's trying to destroy you in the face and say, you you really don't have authority over me. My God is going to rescue me. And you can either give up now or we can go through a battle to see really who's strongest. It's your choice, but either way, we're getting out of here alive. Will you wait that way? Because often while we're waiting, we have to look our greatest demons in the eye, in the mirror, and decide what we're going to do with them. That's part of what God is trying to rid us of those things, but he's not just simply going to uh, extract us and drop us somewhere else. He's much better than that. And even though it doesn't feel good necessarily, what he wants us to do is empower us. We are human beings. We're the pinnacle of his creation. He's not just trying to uh, make us entitled children. He wants to empower us so that we can partner with him to see it through. But it's got to take being willing to be like Moses and have the faith to say, empire you. You don't have ultimate authority over me. Does that make sense so far? Let's look at um, let's look at Enoch. Enoch is a wild guy. I was doing some studying on Enoch because the scriptures don't say a ton about him. Um, It's this really wild story where God was pleased with him. And then just took him up. He didn't die. Just real sci-fi like. Just into the air. You know the story. Sometimes we like read over that. We're like, yeah, that's totally normal. Like, what? That's not normal at all. If you do some uh, research and studying um, on Enoch, especially because you got to get, you really got to work hard. Um, because there's not a lot there just immediately in the scriptures, but um, there's this Jewish tool, which is called the Midrash, which is this kind of ancient commentary 
um, written by rabbis who um, would tell the story, well, they would tell stories um, about the different stories that are going on in the scriptures so that the Jewish people would understand further what the point of the scriptures is. And there's this part of the Midrash that says that um, Enoch was kind of like a John the Baptist-like figure. Um, he was someone who was preaching repentance. He was discipling people. Um, he was trying to get uh, the people that he was leading and he had authority over and influence with to, to be in alignment with God, to be righteous before him, to uh, rid themselves of their idols and repent of their sins and, and follow God. And he kind of built up a following. He built up a real influence. He, he really had a place and a pedestal of power and authority. But the problem with Enoch was uh, people would come to him for leadership, for guidance, kind of like a pastor maybe. It would be like you uh, show up at Heart of the State Church and you ask for Connor and they're like, Connor's not here. Which could happen. <laughs> Enoch was so um, infatuated with God and had such a desire to be in the unadulterated presence of God, he would disappear off into the wilderness, just constantly, just gone. And people would show up and they would demand of him because of his influence, because of his power, because of his authority. They wanted to be led by him, but he was gone. He wasn't there to lead anybody because he didn't really care about his power. He didn't really care about his influence. He didn't care about the object of the promise that came. He was consumed with the promise maker. Understand the difference. Often, especially as Americans, because we're so materialistic and we're so concerned with the natural world, when we think about the promises that God makes us, we think about a relationship or we think about a location that we're going to live or we think about a certain socioeconomic status or we think about a vocation. We think about all these objects. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. God uses those things. He's, this is a material world, a natural world, and he's the author of it and he's going to use it. But the point is not the object of the promises that God is going to give us. The point is that we would be intimate with the God who provides them. Like we don't have relationship with God because of what God can provide for us. That's called entitlement, right? Have you ever met an entitled human being before? I've been that person, so hopefully you're not talking about me. No, just kidding. Entitlement is gross. It's so unattractive. It like repels people because you're just like, you don't want to do anything and you're so selfish and you just expect everyone to give you everything. And sometimes I think we become that way. Like God just, I want this relationship. I want to live in this house. I want to have this type of security. I want to have this type of comfort. I want this label. I want this job title. I want these rewards. I want this many likes. I want this many followers. I want all this affirmation. And God is like, am I not enough? Because if you're anything like me, I know I say that a lot. But I mean that. I guess I do say it a lot because multiple people laughed at it. I have it, yeah. Anyway, I digress. If you're anything like a human being and you're human, what you realize is there are objects that you desire sometimes, whether they're an actual material, whatever it might be, or just this... Um, 
uh, again, it could be likes or followers or a type of affirmation that's more emotionally related. You never actually fully get all that you want. And then when we don't get what we want and we're left alone, we have to ask ourselves, what am I going to do and what am I going to think and who am I going to be from here? And God is just like, you know, life is going to go how it's going to go and you're not always going to get what you want, but it's okay because I'm all that you really need. I can satisfy you and sustain you and, and give you love and affection regardless of what the things that you have are trying to give you or you think they're going to give you. If you would just be infatuated, if you would just be enamored, if you would just give me all of your attention. And, and the, the challenge sometimes is while we're waiting is we're so fixated on the object that we get distracted from God. I think part of the significance, because this is what I've noticed um, you know, I look sometimes to people who are, who I think are light years ahead of me, and and maybe there are people I want to to um, follow after and and kind of walk in the same footsteps as they did, and I'm just so um, I so respect where they have arrived, and the ones who stay there and who sustain it are the ones who are not even concerned with the platform or the objects to begin with. They're just consumed with God. And I think it's because they're consumed with God regardless. They have a certain ability and capacity that when the blessing does come, when the objects do come, they don't destroy your life. Think about, we, especially as Americans, all these people get all this money, they get all this stuff, they get all this fame, and they self-destruct because it can't satisfy us. It can't sustain us. It's not enough of a promise. But God can. Will you be like Enoch and be consumed with the promise maker, not just the object of it? We've got time for one more. Um, let's talk about Joseph. Joseph gets these dreams from God, which I think the best we can do is interpret that what God was trying to reveal to Joseph was, I'm going to give you a lot of influence and authority. And he tells them to his family, and his family's like, so you're saying you're going to rule over us? And they already don't like Joseph. <laughs> Joseph was the, the favorited son. He uh, was blessed, and, and, and Jacob was going to give him everything. So he, like, reveals a little bit too much too soon. <laughs> so they betray him and send him in this journey of slavery and exile and just this really unfair, undesirable life. The problem is, is um, we'll get a promise from God or maybe it's a dream or something and if we're not careful, we'll sleep into the, slip into this subconscious mode where we think it's all gonna be daisies and roses from here. <laughs> and the world just doesn't operate that way, friends. Whether you self-destruct or people try to steal from you and... Um, 
destroy and all these different things, that, that happens in this evil world at times. And what, what we see Joseph do, and Joseph's not a perfect guy. Some people would say he's maybe a little bit egotistical and has some pride and is maybe a little bit reluctant. We really like to glorify him and, and all this different stuff. But what we do know is that even though he goes through these undesirable circumstances and situations on the way to God's promise, in every moment he does his best to honor and trust God. That even though my, my circumstances and my situation doesn't look like what I think God has promised me, I trust that God is still in control of all of this. And if I have the opportunity to honor him and serve him, even in the midst of prisons and under pharaohs, I'm going to do it. Because I know that God is trustworthy and time will go by and things will work out and eventually his promise will come to pass. And that sounds really, really sweet and nice when it's coming from the pastor in the pulpit, but... That's not my point, it's just to tell you what to do. I'm here to ask you a question. If life becomes undesirable and tragic, so to speak, it goes unplanned, do you have the courage and the trust inside of you, the faith while you're waiting to say, God, you know what? I still believe that you're good. I still think you're gonna work these things out and I will stubbornly wait here in faith and honor you until you do. Because especially you see this, the moment people see the favor of God on your life, we see this, um, I would argue, we'll touch on Abel and Cain a little bit. We see this in Cain. Cain sees the pleasure and the favor of God on Abel, and he's insecure about himself, so he destroys Abel. And so often what people do is they see the favor of God on us, whether they're thinking that way or not. They just see God working in our life, and they want that. But they maybe don't believe that God's going to do it for them, or they're insecure, and they're comparing whatever it is. So what they do is try to destroy you. I don't like it. I don't want it to happen to me. But I just know I see in the scriptures that it's happened, and I've seen it throughout history. That's beyond the point. It could happen. The question is, is when it does, while you wait for God's promise, will you still have the courage and the trust? in God to say, even if unlikely, undesirable, uh, unfavorable, unpleasing things come to me, I'll still honor you and stand firm that you are trustworthy and you're going to work all these things out for good. And that's what we do while we wait. We trust God. I know that's like really like cliche maybe and like, what does that mean? Look at the people of old. Look at the life of Joseph. Look at the life of Rahab. Look at the life of Moses. And ask yourself, step into the story and allow God to begin to, to minister to you and to speak to you and to strengthen you. You can stand with me. We'll close. Is that helpful? I know that that's a little heavy. Those are not necessarily fun stories uh, in, the, in the moment. But God does see his promise through. Let me read you one other part of Hebrews 11. And 
and this at first is maybe not going to sound like better news, but I promise it's good. Verse 13 says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. I read that scripture and I kind of want to like tear it out. I don't want to die in faith not having received the things I thought God promised me. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I don't think it's really meant to be this like downer. When I first read it and was really thinking through it, I thought to myself, well, if I'm gonna die waiting, why like desire it anyway? You know what I mean? Because it takes courage to live a life of faith. It takes courage to trust God. And people think you're crazy and they think you're weird and they think you're a bigot and they think you're all these different things. If you're really like in the middle of trusting God and waiting on his promise and partnering with him to to play a role in the redemption of creation, it's not necessarily a fun and comfortable place to be. So if I'm going to die waiting and not receive what I feel like promise, then why wait and, and desire it anyway? And I think it's this. Have you ever heard the phrase uh, to go out in a blaze of glory? (laughs) This idea you're like, this thing is all going to end up one way anyway, so I'm going out, guns blazing, I'm giving it my all, I'm going to have fire and passion and all these things, just this like fullness of life. And this is the thought that I had. This is what I think really is the tone and the narrative of scripture. And I asked myself this question and I, I feel like, it was maybe God asking it to me and I'll just extend it to you. Is are you willing to go out in a blaze of faith? Because this is the idea. It says that they were, they greeted it from afar. It's this idea that they're in this wilderness, they're in this desert and they have a homeland. But it's just really, really far off. But they know that it's coming. And when you're in that place, when you see it and you know that it's real, you know that it's promised to you, you're just doing everything you can to get there. It's just like, I just won't stop. I'll go as fast as I can and as far as I can. I know that I'm going to get to that place. And what the story says is that not everyone gets there. We die because what the story is really talking about is not just the individual promises that we have as people, but it's understanding that we're playing a part and we're in this story story where God is not just giving you what you want or giving what you need, although that could happen. He wants to heal and restore us and make us whole. But what he's doing is restoring and redeeming all of creation, all of humanity. Like we live in this crazy world. It will one day not be like this. No more sin, no more evil, no more injustice, no more pain. That's our home. We're on our way. And I think what the spirit of Hebrews chapter 11, especially verse 13, is this, is take everything with you while you can on your way. 
But know that you're not just gonna get to these like individual temporal promises and then that be it because there's a bigger story happening. Be the type of person who says, you know what? I got breath in my lungs. I got life in me. Even though my circumstances and my situation doesn't look like maybe I want it to, I'm gonna hold on to faith and I'm gonna go out in a blaze of it. I'll keep hope in my heart. I'll keep faith and trust in God in all that I have. I'll keep my eyes fixated. Here's the thing. Cancer could kill you but you're gonna have another life. So if you have cancer, believe that God will heal you on this side. I'm all for it, I'll believe with you. But just understand, if he doesn't, it's not the end of the story. Are you okay if you die with cancer? Willing to go out in a blaze of faith, knowing that one day God will resurrect your body. Like, is that real? Sometimes I ask myself, do I actually believe that story? Because I think it's real. And if we could see our whole life through the whole context of eternity and what God is doing with this greater promise to make everything whole and everything right and everything back in order, then it would shift and change the way that we live. We'd be willing to wait as long as we needed to through whatever we had to because of a certainty and a confidence that one day it will all be made right again. Will you have the faith? God's gonna do it. I believe it wholeheartedly. He's trustworthy. He's way better than we think he is. He's way more active and he's like... I. I just, I'm so convinced that he's so at work doing it. But I wonder sometimes if he's just saying, Connor, will you, will you trust me even when it doesn't look like what you want it to? And I just extend that question to you as well. Because I know that if we do, that we'll go out in a blaze of faith and it will be glorious and it will be good even if it looks like it's bad and, and, uh, and destructive at times.